Hi, and welcome to On Course, the podcast from Echoing Green. I'm Eric Dawson. I'm here with Echoing Green fellow Corey Green, one of the founders of Hala, How Our Lives Link All Together, which is based in Brooklyn and seeks to empower young people of color by creating spaces and pathways for them to discover love, healing, community organizing, and relationships built on trust. Corey, it's good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. What's up? What's up? Good to be here. Always good to be in in presence with your spirit and kicking it with you. So I want to start by having you tell me about your journey. In particular, what was a, a pivotal moment that led you here? Yeah, man, I'm starting to think about my journey as like journeys that came before me as well, too. I met my moms in the 80s when I was born. Um, She was already impacted by the crack epidemic. Uh, But, you know, as me growing up in the 90s in urban New York, um, in the heart of, you know, the crack epidemic in in America, um, and seeing my moms go through it and seeing my block go through it, and, like, me knowing my moms in that chapter of her life, I kind of had a lot of, like, assumptions about who she was and who we were and who our community were and what our dreams could be and who we could be. Through all that, you know, was going on at home and in my community, I still was really productive in school, uh, maintained, like, high on a roll um, all the way up to, like, ninth grade. And then around that time, you know, um, I just had came back from Mississippi because we had to get um, away from New York because, like, child welfare was trying to take me from my mom. So I went to Mississippi for a couple of years, finished school there, came back in ninth grade. Um, my mom's got locked up, had to do like two years. Um, I was staying with my father, um, my stepfather who took care of me um, most of my life since I was two. He died. You know, I kind of like always seen my streets and seen the block and seen what that offered. Um, and, um, and knew that I had like access to like try to figure out life that way. And also school and just, like, what was going on just didn't feel like it was going to make it. So I started the journey more that way. A couple of years of doing that, you know, from 15 to, like, 20, I end up um, in prison for a homicide. And in prison for a homicide, like, a lot of, you know, my son, who wasn't born at the time, was just six months in my wife's womb. Me and my wife wasn't married yet, but um, we was, you know, me and Teresa... We was um, in the verge of getting married and thinking about deep relationship. And then I was just locked up and not just locked up, but locked up for a homicide. Um, so and and at that moment there, I was dealing with a lot of assumptions about who I was, who I could be. And in prison, um, just being, you know, in the in the fire of like structural violence, um, you just um for me, at least, I was faced with a certain kind of reality, a certain kind of closeness to my humanity. Um, I had to face a lot of things, and it kind of like made me go into like a deep realm of reflection and thinking, um, and um, and getting closer to myself. And I started to have like different um, understandings and realities and situations of like how, you know, who I am and how my journey was and who my mother was. And that's how I started learning about all what my mother was doing. Um, before she had me. Um, and that's how I started to learn about how some of her life reality started to shift and start to change when um, when drugs came in her life. And then through my study and just reading of history, and, and I started to realize that, you know, some of the reasons why, you know, 
drugs was in, you know, my neighborhood, my mom's neighborhood, just, you know, those things. Um, it's, you know, it's people's fault how they 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 roll up and use them, but there's a lot of systematic um, energy and, and force and, and gravity that place those things in certain communities. And I start to realize how those things impact, like, what my mom's dreams could have been and how those things have, like, later on impacted what my dreams are. It's, it's such a, a powerful image I have as you're talking of... Um discovering the power of your story um, and, and really stories, right? And so many stories get lost or hidden or um, stolen from people. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are, are the stories that we tell about ourselves and that the world tells about us. And so tell me the story of, of that moment of obligation when you realize that you had this power to do something that very few people can do. Yeah, man. I think I'm just now learning from working with the young people that I'm working with at HALA um, and the Youth Organizing Collective um, that part of learning or what we think learning is or what I think learning is that you really just relearning something you already know, mm. you know, um, and you learn it and you re- and you learn it in a different way, in a deeper way, or you get another piece of that learning or you get another aspect, another element to it. I used to be really good at basketball. Um, and I started late. I started like 11, 12, and I just happened to go on it. And um, I ended up playing with the older people, and I wasn't really that good of a scorer, but I was a really good point guard. And I was a really good person that can, like, get the person who needed to get the ball the right person. I worked really hard. I just really was able to, like, lean with the team. Um, that characteristic of of being a point guard and being like a, a floor general, what some people call a leader. But that was just like playing basketball. That really didn't like map on in my head that, oh, I could do, I could use that kind of leadership to when my moms and sister are fighting to kind of like negotiate conflict. I didn't think that was connected to that. But then, yeah, um, when I went to prison and um, started going into my own process of healing and growing, I think that like allowed me to start seeing other people different. It just created a different energy around me to help me connect other folks. Um, I think that's kind of like how Hala started to come about. And I think within that, um, I started to get like confidence in, um, in myself. And I think um, coming out of prison, you know, even your family members, mostly your family members, if you say you're going to be a different person, um, it's even hard, it's, it's probably harder for them to believe that. And I think um, I really just had a certain kind of like spirit in me when I was in prison about how I wanted to come out and how I wanted to kind of engage myself and my family. And I shared that with people that I was close with. Um, I think they had a lot of, you know, struggle believing some of those things. You went through this really powerful um, internal journey and discovery and and then began sharing that with people that you love and, and loved you and invited them into this transformation. And so tell me about how Hala started and what that journey was like and then what you're doing and creating in the world. Yeah, Hala is got a lot of different beginnings. Um, and I think if you, whoever you talk to, one of the co-founders, um, or even a couple of people who was in prison when, when we was co-founding it, they can tell you different stories about what they think is the beginning. But it was really, you know, seven to nine, you know, brothers that were serving time in prison. A lot of us came in when we was very young in prison and was serving a lot of time in prison for very serious crimes. And we was doing our own healing and individual journeys that led us to many developmental and growing spaces that we kept running into each other with. 
Um, some of them would be about parenting classes. Some of them about anger management classes. Some of them about facilitating healing circles with other young men. Um, and in those spaces, we were growing from each other. We hear insights that we share with each other. Um, and those moments just brought us closer. And we started to share our dreams with each other. You know, we started to, like, you know, figure out a space that we could trust where we could be a little bit more honest. And through those conversations, we got a little bit more structure. We just started saying, like, how can we build a program? How can we share this with young people so that they don't experience what we experience? And from that, we started, like, thinking about how do you do that? And we went, figured it out in prison and wrote bylaws and program and stuff and try to, like, get it ready to go to the administration in prison and ask them, can we talk to young people outside? And he just... You know, this is 2006, seven, and they just kept shooting our stuff down, saying, like, we're not letting, like, people incarcerated talk to people outside. That's crazy. Um, so for two years, we um, organized, we met up every week, just kept doing our work and kept figuring out what we were going to do. And in 2009, most of us started coming out of prison. Um, and that's kind of like in 2010, and then we started volunteering with some of the people that we made connections with while we was in prison, but we couldn't never really get it off the ground um, and one of the teachers was now a principal in Brownsville. Um, so that allowed us to get direct access to some of the eighth graders. And we started doing some volunteer work with eighth graders in Brownsville. And we had like a character, kind of like education curriculum that was really about being mentors, that was really trying to like support them academically. And that really was just talking about what they need to do to like kind of like tap up their academic and career and, like, um, character kind of, like, responsibilities. But we really wasn't going into, like, healing in a deep way. We really wasn't going into organizing. We really wasn't going into, like, cultural and political history in a deep way. And after three years of kind of, like, doing that kind of work, we took a step back in, like, 2012 and really started to analyze our work. And while we was in prison, part of our own study was we was deeply studying a lot of prison organizing work that was going on in the 70s. In the Greenhaven think tank, the Attica Revolt, you know, there was so many, like, political prisoners and people doing amazing work before they got flushed into prison and who continued doing amazing work in prisons in the 70s um, who really created an echo and, like, an oral history within prison um, that really kept, you know, you know, me alive and really kept me tuned into, like, a deep spiritual growth that really is, like, helping me see where I'm trying to go today. That's Corey Green, one of the co-founders of HALA, How Our Lives Link All Together. I'm Eric Dawson, the host of On Course, the podcast from Equin Green. And we'll be back with more after a break. On Course is produced by Echoing Green. For more than 30 years... Echoing Green has been on the front lines of solving the world's biggest problems. We find emerging leaders with the best ideas for social innovation as early as possible and set them on a path to lifelong impact. Our community of almost 1,000 social innovators includes past fellows like First Lady Michelle Obama, major public figures like Van Jones, and the founders of organizations like Teach for America and One Acre Fund. Built and refined over 30 years, our process discovers tomorrow's leaders today. Join us as we support a new generation of social impact leaders. Learn more at echoinggreen.org.
Welcome back. I'm Eric Dawson, and you're listening to On Course, the podcast from Echoing Green. I'm speaking to Corey Green, one of the co-founders of HALA, how our lives link all together. So I'm a young person in, in your program. <laughs> What's my experience like? Take me on that journey. Yeah, it's different for every young person. Some of our young people are formerly incarcerated, coming straight from prison. Some of our young people, and they're like more like 24, 25. Some of our young people are like 17, 18 in high school. And um, they might have a father who's been in prison their whole life. They might be young and, and, and queer and not trying to figure out can they come out or not, if it's okay. Um, some of our young people are undocumented. So I think the entry point and how people will come in and what they experience may be a little bit different for everybody because people, due to those histories and experiences, have different understandings and um, realities with trust and what that means. And, and, and so the first experience is really a, a deep, like, you know, let's gauge, you know, how much we want to know each other, how much we can know each other, and... Um, and then, you know, the energy of the space in me is just saying, you know, under all of that, like, you know, there's a deep hope for us to figure out how to, like, trust each other more every day. It's a steady kind of echo of, like, yo, we're going to be journeying and we're going to be committing to, like, more of ourselves and each other. Um, there's medicine that we bring into the room. We sometimes have sage to open up the space to kind of, like, really give people opportunity to segue or transition from one part of their life to another part of their life before we go into deep thinking and deep wound open or wound searching or or holding space for other people to kind of like have some kind of intentionality and transitioning but also recognizing the gifts that like you know nature and our ancestors have shared with us in the past um there's a lot of um reflecting on on legacy a lot of elders in the space, um, so you see, you see older folks. Um, you see, um, see different forms of leadership who come in and out of the space. Um, you have different documents. Um, you have different videos, um, and then just the community are echoing um, different iterations of like you know who some of the elders is. So they just connected to like a lot of legacy. So many youth programs are about fixing things. Uh, it's a deficit model. We need to help you study. We need to help your grades. We need to keep you out of trouble. You're describing something that feels really radical, if, if I may, which is grounding something in love, mm -hmm. grounding something in justice, grounding an invitation around healing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah, because we feel like you can't really get wisdom or knowledge or truth or somebody's story if they don't trust you. If they, don't, if they don't really see you. So from, from that kind of standpoint, like we believe like once, once the, the, you know, the spirit, the emotional and spiritual trust is rooted in a relationship, the pathways of sharing back and forth, pedagogy, teaching, learning, the pathways of sharing becomes wide open. Um, so a lot of our work is grounded in relationship building and spiritual and emotional trust building that um, creates the conscious and unconscious, you know, pathways of, of learning, of knowledge sharing, um, of engagement, of creativity, um, of unlimited possibilities. Talk me through your, your own spiritual journey and, and particularly your own, your own journey in terms of, of healing. 
Yeah, man. When I went to prison, I think, you know, I don't think it started there. I think that's where a lot of the stuff that was percolating before really sat in and really became present to me. But, um, like, I, when I was, like, 9, 10, and my mom used to be getting high and then, like, put me to bed at, like, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock when the honeymoons is on, and then she see me sleep, and then, like, she would bounce out. And then, like, I don't know, 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning, I wake up, I'm like, and I see she's not there. And um, as I got older, 11, 12, she used to do that. Then my little sister was born, and she was, like, a, like 9 months, 10 months, a newborn. And some nights I wake up and I just have to be taking care of my little sister. And then, like, I remember some days um, my mom's would come back before 6 o'clock in the morning. Some days she didn't, and I'll kind of, like, almost be rocking my sister right before, like, 7.30. And then I'm off to go to school myself, um, like, walking to the corner to meet my friends. And I remember in those moments, like, I don't know if I was judging my mother, but I remember, like, talking to, like, some energy and saying, like, yo, this is definitely not the best way to parent. Um, and if I ever have a child, like I used to, I've made a promise to myself, like I would definitely have to figure out how to like not leave them in a situation where they got to like figure it out for themselves like this. And when I got locked up, like my son wasn't even born. <laughs> he was like six months in my wife's soon to be wife's stomach. Um, and I was facing a homicide. So I kind of like was really bad on myself. I was like, oh, you just kind of, like, lied to yourself. You put yourself in the same situation that you said you should try to, like, judge your mother on or whatever. Look at you. You ain't going to be around either. And um, that conversation with myself was, like, real honest. And um, I just started from there. And, like, what it means to kind of, like, be human and see yourself and work and walk and walk and walk from there. And I just started to, like, um, own that. Um, And I think figuring out, like, who I need to be um, to start making that journey to be accountable to, like, that promise I made to myself. Um, and then this physical thing, which is my son, who is going to need support and love. And it's, like, my responsibility because I played a part in, you know, bringing him into this energy. Um, like, what is going to be my responsibility? So I started there. Um, and from there, um, I wanted to learn more. And I thought about what learning meant and how, like, the, like you know, my learning settings before... Um, how they impacted, like, my understanding and possibilities of learning and what learning meant and how that, like, impacted how I wanted to engage with learning. So I kind of, like, really started to engage in learning again that felt good, and that was another form of healing. Um, same thing around that was, like, relationship building in prison. You're surrounded around a lot of people who they call murderers, um, killers, robbers, um, sex offenders, um, drug dealers, um, these are the, like the so-called criminals. And a lot of times these people or these communities, like when I was growing up, for whatever reason, like although I was dumb, if they wasn't from a neighborhood that I grew up when I used to see them as like my enemies. Um, and I started to um, work past that. I started to like start seeing people like that as like my community, as people like me. Um, and that allowed me to kind of like make a lot of connections and, and build a lot of healthy relationships with people that at one time I didn't think I could build healthy relationships with. I love that, this idea that you you heal yourself by healing community. Um, what's your relationship like now with your mom? Me and my mom's is um, in a really beautiful place, man. Like, I never, I didn't really get into it, but I have a younger sister who's like nine years younger than me. Like, after a long story short, my sister kind of like stopped talking to my mother. My sister's now, what, 20, 
29, 27. She barely talks to my mother. Like, just the last year, they start, she started to get, like, more comfortable reaching out to my mother on her own. She still don't really call her mommy. Um, and But when we was in prison, um, we had a lot of mediation and, and, and family hurt because of just all of the dynamics. Um, so that's just another way that prison just hurts. You know what I'm saying? It complicated the dynamics that was already there, and it really separated me and my sister more. We stopped talking for a couple of years. My mom's and my sister wasn't talking. It was, me and my mom's got into a lot of stuff just because it was just hurtful. People were just shameful, and just there wasn't enough relationship and space and time, and that hurt the relationship even more. Um, but anyway, my mom's, man, she... Um, she used drugs a lot in her early life, you know, for over 20 years. So she's just in a place right now where her health is um, really, like, you know, not the best. So she just always just need care and love. She's in Mississippi next to her sisters. Um, she, she, she wears holler all the day. She, um, she, like, me and her have been having a lot of healing conversations about, like, her growing up and what um, her and her mother went through. Um, I've been learning a lot about the stories from Mississippi to Chicago and who she was back then. Um, yeah, she learns a lot about who I am and what I'm trying to do now. Um, she's really proud of me. That's Corey Green, one of the co-founders of HALA, How Our Lives Link All Together. I'm Eric Dawson, the host of On Course, the podcast from Equine Green. And we'll be back with more after a break. On Course is presented as part of the Inclusive Leadership Initiative. With support from the City Foundation, Echoing Green launched the Inclusive Leadership Initiative to expand its support of leaders that represent and work with communities of color. Together, Echoing Green and the City Foundation are supporting the next generation of leaders who are helping create economic and social opportunities for young women and men of color across the United States. Welcome back. I'm Eric Dawson, and this is On Course, the podcast from Echoing Green. I'm speaking to Corey Green, one of the co-founders of HALA, How Our Lives Link All Together. Tell me about your son and the experience of being a dad. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. My son is, like, way better than me, man. And um, he's just hope. You know, he's hope. Um, He's 16. His name is Corey. Um... Yeah, he, like, his birth alone just has taught me a lot. You know, I didn't think a lot of stuff that I could be doing or I could be thinking or I could, like, be living out until he was born. And I think that's just a magical thing. You know, I was in prison the first seven years of his life, and I wrote him a lot when I was in prison, like, every day. And I talked to him sometimes, and he came and see me, so it wasn't like I didn't see him, but it was a lot of times it's just hard being a parent and just being a family member when you locked up. You know, our relationship, you know, had a lot of growing to do when we met each other at, I was 20, I was 29 and he was seven. Um, and we, you know, I'm 37 now and he's 16. Um, and yeah, we just been growing since then in different ways, man. You know, we talk, you know, about each other. You know, we have arguments or we have debates. You know, we're in a place right now but we give each other feedback. Um, you know, he not to reflect back just what, you know, what we're trying to grow and what we're trying to live. Um, so he's really special, man. He's um, he's growing into himself in a really, like, really beautiful way. Fifteen years from now, when I'm 
doing a podcast with him, and I'm asking him to tell the story of his father. What do you hope he says? <laughs> I just hope he be um, honest in whatever spirit he's in there. Um, yeah, man, I think he he has seen so many versions of me, and he has seen so many parts of my humanity. Um, and he's connected to, like, journeys of me that, like, is kind of like how I'm connected to journeys of, of my mother that happened before him. He has stories about me and his mother before he was born. He has stories that my mother tell before I met his mother. He has stories from my block, from people in prison who know me. Um, I think one thing, you know, he would probably say or, like, what we say is that um, I definitely, you know, um, love black people. Um, I definitely was trying to like figure out um, how to heal myself and how to heal with and how to heal with the people that I love. Um, I definitely was a work in progress in that like I wasn't a, a sentence um, that had like a period yet, and that um, that like I like I try to live in a way that you know I felt like was you know growing every day. What version of you do you hope comes next? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of like, I'm I'm in the presence. I'm kind of like surprised. I'm I'm excited to see what version comes next. Though, um, I don't really have any intentions or like um desire to kind of like think about what name what version is coming next. Um, I know there's another chapter. There's another version coming. There's another thing coming, and I'm excited for it, and I'm I'm, I'm preparing for it, and um, I want to really just get more comfortable and um, grounded in in transition and, and enjoying the death of something while while something new is about to grow. So that's what I'm looking forward to. You're a father. You are a husband. You're a community leader. You're a community member. You are. A doctoral student doctoral student how do you how do you balance the range of ways you need to show up yeah man i feel like of late man i could be doing better um i think it's a, always a constant gauge and engagement of where you at i don't think there's there's ever a moment like a blueprint to be like how do you, like i'm this is what you do i think at different moments you know, those things have different energies and different levels of, of, of re- responsibilities that's vibrating. Um, so I think um, I think the things that I do that I feel really good is, um, is um, figure out first, you know, it's about knowing yourself, figuring out, like, what, what you like, what you need, what, what, what makes you feel good. Um, and a lot of reasons why I do the stuff I do because I really like it. So that's one. It's not like a job. Like if 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 I didn't get paid, which I don't get paid for most of it, um, like it part of it is because I'm selfish and you know it feeds my spirit too. So that's one. So I, I'm always getting fed as I do it. Um, another thing is um, I also figure out like what I need, like what I what else is good. So when I'm not doing that, or when I got time, or you know I just figure out how to like really prioritize, like maybe getting a massage, um, really prioritize. Um, like um, waking up 15 minutes two times a week or five times a week, depending on what week it is, what month, what time of the year it is, before I go outside to kind of like 
do some kind of rituals with my ancestors. And um, just learning that you got to create other moments to get other parts of your humanity. I think I didn't know that when I was younger. I think that, like, one thing I learned about since leaving prison is that, like, when we are draped in structural violence and historical trauma and, like, in most of our communities, like, that's where the war is at. Like, the state bring the war on drugs to, like, our neighborhood, the war on people of color. So we are, like, swimming in a cloud of this war and it's heavy on our spirits, it's heavy on our emotions. And that's the only platform we got to dream. A lot of us don't get to go to NYU or get to go to college or go get to see China or get to go somewhere else. Like, we just, this is our only context to engage and to dream and to see. And um, as I've, like, learned to grow, I've learned that part of, like, how we heal our people and how we heal ourselves is just creating another platform for us to be different, different versions of our humanity and be able to connect to that. I love it. So, Corey, we're we're gonna enter the the speed round. Speed rounds. I've seen this in like NBA interviews. I don't know if it's gonna be similar, but let's see. It, it will be exactly the same. <laughs> um, so, just in a sentence or two, you got you got one semicolon. Um, first thing that comes to your mind with these questions. You ready? Ready. So, if you could sit down with yourself twenty years ago, what would you want to talk about? Basketball. If you could sit down with yourself twenty years from now, what would you want to know? Why would my son, what, what, what was he not telling me at 15? Why he didn't tell me at 15 what he told me at 30? If you couldn't be doing what you're doing right now, but could do anything you wanted to, what would that be? Two things. It would probably be a coach of a basketball team. Secondly, probably be like um, in relationship with like land and taking care of land. Tell me about your ideal Saturday. What are you doing? Eating pancakes in the morning. Thinking about if I'm going to work out now, if I'm going to work out later, maybe wash clothes, wash the car, um, argue with my wife and my son about what we're going to do later on in the evening, who's going to pick it. Who inspires you? My grandmothers, um, the land, the young people I work with, my mother. What will be the title of your memoir? The sentence is not complete. For those listening and inspired by your work, how can they learn more? Tune in to Hala um, at hala-inc.com. Check us on Facebook, Hala Lives Link All Together. Center for New Leadership on Urban Solution. Type in Human Healing Justice and Hala. Um, and yeah, man, just listen to your heart. You know, like I think part of like what I'm connected to or what I'm trying to connect it to is, is the universe. I think like trying to be honest with yourself and trying to listen to your heart. Is how we connect to each other. Camus, the the, the writer, the French philosopher, uh, wrote that in in, in times of uh, of stress and struggle, those of us who are unable to be saints but refuse to give up, do our utmost to be healers. Uh, Corey Green, uh, you're a healer in, in that sense. That it's not about perfection; uh, it's about being. It's about being connected and and reconnecting. Uh, It's an honor to know you. It's an honor to hear your story. Thank you. Thank you. That's dope. To find out more about Echoing Green, go to echoinggreen.org. Don't miss any of our episodes. Subscribe where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating so other listeners can find us. I'm Eric Dawson. Stay on course.